Welcome to Animals to the Max. I'm your host, Corbin Maxey. This show is about animals and the people who dedicate their lives to them. And welcome everybody back to another episode of Animals to the Max. I'm your host, Corbin Maxey. What's up everybody? Thank you as always for listening to the show. Folks, it is the last week of October. It is Halloween week! This is such a fun time of year. I absolutely love fall. I love Halloween. I love all the creepy crawlies that come with it. And that is why I have the perfect podcast guest for our special Halloween edition episode. Now, really quick before we get into the interview, I have to say for those of you who are diehard Animals to the Max fans... Hi, Mom. Uh, You'll notice that I've been absent for a few weeks, haven't released any episodes for a few weeks, and that is because at the beginning of the month on October 3rd, I got married to the love of my life, and uh, it was just beautiful. We went uh, actually up to uh, northern Michigan, so the trees were already starting to change colors. We got married up there uh, near Traverse City, so it was beautiful. I kind of took a break from business, from social media, just kind of everything, and it was so nice, but I have to say, it is nice to be back. It is nice to be back. I miss the podcast, and we have a lot of exciting content coming your way. So to start off the new content, we are going to start off today with an excellent guest, perfect for Halloween. We have Joe D'Angeli, who is New Jersey's Batman. And he, I'm being serious, you guys, we have the Batman on the program. He has been working with bats for well over 20 years. He's a bat specialist. He has over 40 different bats that he actually has with his um, organization, which is so great. He actually founded the Wildlife Conservation and Education Center in Garfield, New Jersey. So just, I think, 20 minutes, he said, outside of New York City. And so it's where people can go and see bats live in person. And I had such a fun time talking to Joe the Batman. I mean, such a good time. I don't think I've laughed this hard in a long time. Uh, It's really funny. Joe's actually gearing up to prepare to uh, present at the American Museum of Natural History in New York City and that's like the top museum I mean in the world everyone knows where that you know what that museum is and you know where it is and it's such a uh, such a prestigious place so to be asked to speak there is huge during this interview you hear him uh, he's kind of preparing for that appearance which is like I said the pinnacle of his career just anyway super cool so we talk about him gearing up for that appearance talking about bats in front of several thousand people we also just talk about bats in general certain misconceptions and also what it's like taking care of bats. Like, I've never taken care of a bat. Have you? Like, have you ever wondered, what is it like? What is it like on a daily basis taking care of bats? Are they intelligent? Are they hard to take care of? Like, what can you compare it to? Anyway, we find all of that out and more. So I hope you enjoy my interview with Joe the Batman. Dude, thank you so much for doing this. I really appreciate it. You're very welcome. You're very welcome. Guide me. Don't be afraid to uh, to uh, guide me along the way. Tell me what I'm doing wrong. <laughs> You're, not doing everything. <laughs> You're not doing anything wrong. I was going to say, this is such a busy time for you because you are New Jersey's Batman, correct? Oh, that's what they call me. I, I don't get any royalties, but that's what that's what they say. <laughs> this is a crazy time of year. You know, it used to be 20 years ago that we were booked pretty much, you know, in October. That was our schedule, October. And then the rest of the year was, you know, we could do whatever we wanted. But now it's busy year round. I mean, you know, the, the, the conscious level of bats and the general public has changed. So they're not thinking about them just around Halloween. Now we're thinking about them year round. We're thinking about the beneficial things. We're thinking about the bad things like white nose syndrome. So it's the busiest time of the year. It's okay. the most wonderful 
full time of the year. It is. And I have to say, Joe, it's so hard to pay attention to you because literally behind you, we have Egyptian fruit bats. I can see them. This is the coolest they, background. I, see the kids? There we go. I'll oh, see, I'll, my I'll, I'll, gosh. Okay, we're going to have to share some photos in the show notes. This is incredible. So for those of you listening, Joe is basically in front of the Egyptian fruit bat exhibit, correct? Yes. Oh, my This God. is our in our new location. We were uh, we moved in. Uh, wow, it'll be a year on Halloween, our, our year anniversary. So everybody got uh, new flight exhibits, and they just love being able to stretch their wings out, and, uh, and we love to show it off. So I figured, let's feed them while we're doing that because, you know, we want to distract you as much as possible. <laughs> Heck, yeah. I'm going to – okay, you know what? I've done a lot of interviews. This is the best background I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> cool. <laughs> I'm happy then. It'll distract from me. <laughs> I know, no, no. Well, Joe, I found out about you years ago um, from my managers, and they were like, you know, they're from the uh, New York, New Jersey area, and they said, you have to look up this guy, Joe the Batman. And oh I've, and that's when I connected with you years ago, and, um, you know, you're well-known in the area. How did you get your start with bats? So it depends. You mean professional start or just altogether my fascination with them? Altogether, when you were a little kid, was it always bats? You, you want to know something? I was thinking about, you know, I told you about the uh, program that we have upcoming. So this is the first time ever I'm speaking at the Museum of Natural History in New York City. And it's a big deal for me. It's the first time I've been nervous in 20 years. <laughs> so, you know, I've been putting time into what I'm going to say. And, you know, what do you say to the people at the Museum of, the, of Natural History? You know, it's like it's like the time that I spoke in front of Mensa, you know, the most the most intelligent people on the planet. <laughs> what do you say to these people? So, Ooh. you know, I've been trying to put together my thoughts and you know obviously we're going to go through timeline of how this all started and i mean basically what started for me my dad was an animal lover um which is ironic because he started out as a hunter and people don't always think that the two can go together my dad was a hunter um basically you know just as many people were, you know, in the 60s and 70s, it was sport. Um, and he took me out with him to go hunting. And I remember him shooting something relatively small, some kind of a pheasant or some kind of, you know, pheasant-like animal. And my eyes just welled up with tears. And he put his gun down and never, ever picked it up again. He said, I'm done. No more hunting from now on. We just are going to go and watch animals. And, you know, he always introduced me to wildlife, which was funny within its because he was about as far of an outside, you know, person as there possibly could be. My dad was a nightclub owner, you know, hung around with people like Joe Pesci and Frankie Vincent from Goodfellas, oh you know. God. Yeah. But he loved wildlife and he used to, he introduced me to my first bat. And um, I had been watching them ever since. I, I've, you know, I'm going to say the first bat he introduced me to was flying around outside of his nightclub, which is situated or was situated over the cliffs of Weehawken, New Jersey. And um, I saw this animal flying around at dusk. And um, I said, oh, my God, what, what kind of weird bird is that, Dad? And he said, no, that's not a bird. That's a bat. And I was just hooked. You know, first of all, my dad was a nightclub owner. So if I wanted to see my dad, I had to wait up till two or three in the morning every night. Oh so I was a nocturnal person before it was fashionable. So um, I guess my fascin my fascination with bats started in kind of a, 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 a threefold. My dad introducing me to bats me being a nocturnal person by nature because my dad was a nightclub owner. And then, of course, Adam West Batman growing up in the 70s, you know, that was it, you know, come home every day after school, watch Batman on TV, and you cannot be 
a bat person without saying you're not a Batman fan. So, you know, there's a there's a big spectrum of loving bats and loving, you know, the world of bats because it's all included. Batman, the nocturnal lifestyle, you know, it's just it all tied in somehow. So I guess my I guess the the, the short part of that answer is my first I guess uh, introduction to bats was my father introducing me to the bats flying around the cliffs outside of Weehawken, New Jersey. That is that was- the craziest story. Wait, he, like a nightclub owner. And you know what? I actually just saw Goodfellas for my first time like two weeks ago. So now I'm super <laughs> impressed. Uh, yeah. You know, it's um, the funny part is that, you know, Joe Pesci and Frankie Vincent got those parts and everybody thinks they're, they're uh, character actors, but that's just who they are. <laughs> they are. They are those characters, you know, and that whole group, my father would have been probably, in my opinion, one of the best uh, actors in that group, except he had no interest in acting. <laughs> that was it. He was happy owning the nightclub and had no desire to become an actor. So um, I don't know how I got you know, interested in the stage uh, back in my musical days. I think that prepared me um, for the speaking lectures that I do now, because I can get up in front of a group of 1,000, 2,000 people and not not even, you know, blink, but, you know, the museum gig, this, this is a story. You know, you're talking about the, the most intelligent minds in the world, you know, coming through these doors. This is the Museum of Natural History. What can I say that's going to impress them? Joe, I'm seriously, and I've, you know, and I do national shows all the time, but I'm sweating for you. That would be, I mean, first, <laughs> I'm sweating, you get serious. But that is such an accomplishment. The American Museum of Natural History, that is I mean, that's like, that is a career, that is a pinnacle. I mean, oh my goodness. I mean, congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. It's a wonderful opportunity. I mean, we've been doing this for 20 years and I always use the terms we because, you know, there's people behind the scenes that have been here with me from day one. And plus when I speak in, uh, you know, in plural, uh, I'm talking about the bats too. I'm including my bats with me. So we are excited to be there. Uh, They don't get nervous. I do. And it's it's an (laughs) It's an incredible opportunity. I'm looking forward to it. Uh, but it's you know it's good every once in a while to be reminded that you know you could you could be humbled very quickly by this by this world and this lifetime because I thought I had done it all. And then uh, this came along and I said, oh, yeah, <laughs> oh, okay. All right, so you want me to speak in front of people? And then, of course, you know, the people that um, are running the event, you know, came here to our center just to you know interview and and see some of our exhibits and everything. And they were like, you know, so a lot of times, you know, there's a lot of famous people in New York City and their kids all belong to the museum. So we do have a lot of famous people that show up at the shows and, you know, don't don't be don't you know don't be surprised if you see Christian Bale there or maybe Neil deGrasse Tyson. And I was like, no, yeah, OK. So I don't already you know, feel like having a panic attack and you're going to add that. <laughs> so, I don't know. Oh, my God. Is this- this is going to be it. Thank God it's not going out live, you know. I, yeah. I, I don't think it's it's going to be broadcast live because they want to make sure there's a delay in case I go down. In case I You're not going to go down. You know what I would do, and I'm sure – and you're so used to this. I mean maybe start out with a joke. Have you thought about that? Uh, I have written a script, Corbin. <laughs> I, I think I'm going to have I'm going to have teleprompters on the stage by my feet like Axel Rose. <laughs> I, I am now known as the Axel Rose of the Bat Lecture Circuit. 
I cannot, dude, I cannot do that. Like the scripts, like I, I auditioned for a couple things in my day and I, I'm horrible. I'm just kind of one of those wing type of people. No pun you intended. Have, I, I totally agree with you. I totally agree. We did a, a program. Uh, I, I forget what the show was, um, but it was an, it was a nationally broadcast show and it was on like history channel or something like that. So they text a uh, fax. They faxed me the script. So I knew everything that was going to be asked, and they said, in return, we want to know everything that's going to be said. So I had a script, and it was the worst taping ever. <laughs> and and that's, not, that's not even the worst part about it. You know, um, you know I, always, I always think of the episode of The Honeymooners when uh, Ralph Cramden had to go on TV, and then he just froze. Well, whenever I get a script, that's how I am. And it was so, so bad, and I was so, so nervous. And we got through it somehow. I don't know how we got through it. And I told everybody in my family from here to Texas to watch the show. And they cut out every portion that had <laughs> They cut out every portion that had me. <laughs> so, you know, I agree. That I'm agreeing with you that no script. So although I'm jotting down notes, I'm not going to be bringing a script with me to the uh, Museum of Natural History. I, I think scripts distract you, totally distract you. Oh, yeah. So although I'm preparing, you're right. Off the cuff, use what God gave you. Use your, you know, your sense of humor. Use your gift of gab, whatever you call it. But uh, I, I, I find myself at least preparing, which I haven't done in 20 years. So <laughs> no, this is at the very least humbled me. Yeah, but you know, here's the deal though. Like with me, I think when I do these live shows, I'm thinking, thank God. I mean, I mean, maybe if the audience hates me, at least they love animals. So thank God you have the bats, right? Well, yeah, exactly, exactly. And they don't hate you. My goodness, you've got a wonderful, <laughs> wonderful personality. You know, people were asking me today, uh, you know, about you, and I said, man, let me tell you, this kid is the new Steve Irwin. I'm telling you, this is this guy's. He's gonna be. He's gonna be real big. You're gonna. You're gonna. His name's gonna be all over the place. And and the last thing people do is. Uh, uh, is hate on you, brother. You, you got you got a great thing going there, but you're right. The good thing is, and this is again ties into why I'm distracting you. No matter how bad I do, we still got bats flying in the background. <laughs> They're so cool, dude. They're so cool. Well, thank you so much for that compliment. I mean, no one can replace a Steve Irwin, but I, I yeah, really, really appreciate it. I really appreciate everybody, it. including myself. I'm sure you had a lot of influence from him. This whole generation. I mean, if they say they weren't influenced, at the very least, by Steve Steve Irwin, they're liars because he was you know everything that i you know wanted to be i inspired to be he was funny he was uh controversial at times you know but you could tell deep down in his heart he loved what he was talking about he loved what he was doing and uh his passion showed and i think you know his passing um the amount of people that mourned his passing is a tribute to how loved this guy was i mean he really he was on a on a different plateau that anybody had ever done this before you know i mean um marlon perkins with wild kingdom back when i was a child mm -hmm. uh that was one thing but steve steve irwin took it to a whole you know whole other level you know he made you you know uh want to do that and, and i think he really kind of started this whole new generation of, of conservation you know and now yeah. i just saw the attractions for the new show with his family and i'm very excited about it yeah and i have to tell you what i've worked and i've been so honored to work with people who worked with steve directly and i and, yeah, yeah. I, and i'm always like what was he like what was he like and every single person every producer every animal handler has told me he is exactly how he was on camera as he was off 
completely the- genuine and you could see it through though you could see i mean you could tell a fake person you could you know sure. you, you just yeah anyway so I, I thought that was so cool there's you know it, what's funny is um What's that gentleman's name again? Oh, this is so terrible. I don't want to use names, but there's a fella who makes the rounds nowadays on all the, you know, the biggest talk shows. And I've seen him more than once appear on shows and people ask him, you know, questions about the animals that he brought on the show. And he's like, I don't know, you know, <laughs> not use names or anything. But, you know, if you're going to go on show as an animal expert and then, you know, they say, Where, where's that animal from? And you say, I don't know. <laughs> it kind of makes you look a little doofy. You know, but Steve Irwin's heart was in it. His 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 passion, his brains, um, you know, what his family did by starting the zoo. I mean, that's just incredible. And and it remains, I think, I believe it remains a private institution, which is what we modeled, you know, our little tiny um, uh, piece of love here, you know, after because we always wanted to stay private. I don't like getting involved with local politics and, you know, who tells me when I can build this exhibit and who tells me when I can't finish this exhibit and what animal is going to go in that exhibit. I don't want to be bothered with that. And I really appreciated that, um, you know, for what Steve Irwin did, you know, he, he, he taught us that, you know, you can do this kind of on an individual basis as long as, you know, there's people that share your dream with you, you know, and, and, and you all work together for this, you know, common goal. So, you know, we try. I just I hate when politics get involved with, you know, animals and wildlife issues. And it just always seems like whenever politics get involved, uh, most of the time it doesn't really work. You know, sometimes it does. Sometimes it doesn't. Well, luckily, we're a politic-free show. (laughs) It's funny because I have dear friends in politics, and I'm not any real – I'm not partisan. I really don't call myself a Republican or a Democrat or anything, although I see and understand the issues on both sides. And I think that's what people really need to get back to, understanding that it's not about sides. Stop with the sides. It's about what the goal is, you know? And, you know, there's a lot of politicians out here that uh, are very pro-bat and are working with us. Um, um, There was a number of senators, a number of congressmen, councilmen, all working to get full protection for bats in New Jersey to make sure that we don't, you know, pile any more issues onto bats than nature already has. So it's a great thing. And and New Jersey seems to be a great state when it comes to bat conservation. And, um, you know, and can you hear them in the background? Yes, that's why I'm smiling. (laughs) That's them them telling me to shut up. All right. I'm I'm trying to help you guys out. I love it. (laughs) Oh, my good. I love it. And go ahead. Can you see them all hanging off of uh, off of their dish? I'm going to move my head. Oh my gosh! I... Yep, I can see them. I oh my goodness! I I have to visit next time I'm in town, Joe. Yes, yes, absolutely. The new location is doing great. We love it here in Garfield. The people of Garfield have been great. Um, we have so much more space, and we've only started on the first floor. We have a, another floor that we haven't even started and, on yet. And, so. and really, really, really quick, you were talking, of course, about your wildlife conservation and education center, correct? Correct. Absolutely. Okay. Uh, we are here in Garfield. We've been here. It'll be a year uh, on Halloween. So yeah, it, it marks our one year anniversary. And uh, rightfully so, we're going to celebrate on Halloween. And then I've got about a day to prepare for the museum show because that is the weekend after Halloween. So um, we're going to celebrate for a day with the people from town. We're going to be open to the public, free admission. Everybody can come in and say hi. We're just so happy to be in a bigger location because we were in a, uh, a small location for eight years and it was 
affordable, but it was just, you know, it wasn't right for the animals. It wasn't right for us. It wasn't right for our, our um, visitors, our patrons. So we're just in a much better place. We're in a much better mood. We're in a much better location. It's just, I, I couldn't be happier. So hopefully when you're in town again, you'll come and visit us. Yeah. I mean, how, how far is the uh, train ride from Manhattan? Um, you know, so he, the funny thing is, being a Jersey guy my whole life, and I spent a lot of my time in New York City, but I was always the guy that had to drive. I know zero about mass transit. <laughs> when I go in, I got to take I got to take my car. Uh, but I think I mean literally, a car drive into Manhattan from here with no traffic is twenty minutes. That's not uh, bad. If you take the train in, maybe you're looking at a half hour, thirty five minutes tops. Okay, so this is great. So anyone visiting New York City or the area could take a train or take a vehicle and come visit Absolutely. you. Absolutely. Yep, there's a train right in town, the Plowderville Station. Um, you know, people that uh, live in town here work in the city, and they say it's very convenient to get here. And it's definitely, you know, we're a few minutes away from where we were in Richfield Park, but it's so much more worth it. It really is just better all around. Yeah. You know, it's got more space and uh and flying space and uh and human space we got to the point where we couldn't have human visitors anymore so it was me and the animals and i was like wait there's something missing the visitors oh, that's right. <laughs> so how <Yeah>. many <laughs> joe how many bats do you have so right now, currently, we're keeping three different species of bats, although I've worked with many different species. The three that we concentrate here are, are old-world flying foxes, Megacoroptera. They're the bigger bats that everybody always sees. Um, you know, you see um, lots of uh, memes on Facebook and on the Internet of people standing next to these, like, monstrous bats. And it's like – it's almost like you could sell anybody anything nowadays. I mean, they are big. They're just not that big. It just happens to be, you know, the – way that they're taking the picture but you know what i'm talking about those big flying foxes the big world fruit the old world fruit bats they're much larger than our new jersey bats we have three species here we have the egyptian fruit bats behind me which are our smallest bats and they're still bigger than native species um we have straw colored fruit bats uh, which are from Africa and Madagascar. They're our mid-sized model. And then uh, we have our giant Indian flying foxes, which have a wingspan of about four feet. So we have some good-sized bats. And it's not like we don't want to exhibit native species, but, you know, we were hit very hard here in New Jersey uh, with this white nose syndrome, which was killing off the bats, you know, uh, in the United States. So the bats from our area are better off staying out in our area, you know, unless we can get some captive born ones, which I don't know too many people, you know, captive breeding native species of bats, but we like to study them outside. We like to lead um, bat walks in the summertime, uh, but we don't keep them on exhibit because they're very, very small and they don't make the best educational subjects as far as exhibitions go. Yeah. So we keep bigger bats. Um, they're cute. You know, they have those appealing Stella Luna faces and it helps people, um, to understand more about why these bats need our help. And also, you know, we do have people that come through our doors just to get over their fears of bats. And, you know, they come in with this look on their face and they, they want to get over their fear of bats. And I laugh at them and they're like, why are you laughing at me? And I'm like, because you're going to feel awful silly when you go in the back and you see what a bat is really like as compared to what you've heard bats are like, you know, and they usually are 
amazed um, that all this stuff that they had built up for years, all of these things in their heads, you know, w were basically just made up and things that were just, you know, completely, you know, completely um, false as far as the truth goes. You know, it was just. <laughs> I love it. Don't be. <laughs> I'm surrounded. That sound, there's two different sounds going on. So the lower pitched one, the one that sounds like somebody stepping on a duck, those are our straw colored cats. <laughs> and what what's happening is they are listening to the Egyptian fruit bats who were just fed, but the straw colors weren't fed yet. So that is them basically stating, I am hungry. What's my name? Skip? I mean, let's go. Let's go with the, make with the food already. They are highly intelligent. Most people like myself that are studying the megabats, the megacoroptera, are studying the species and, and the subspecies and the localities as actually more close relatives of primates, monkeys, apes, and human beings than what bats were thought of before in the past, uh, rodents, rats, and mice. You know, so they are very intelligent. They have their own, as you can hear, they have their own language, but they also know how to communicate with me. And that basically is telling me I want to get fed. So if they get fed, they'll usually quiet right down. But see, I just start talking about food and they just go nuts. It's so funny. They are, they are incredible animals. I spend every day of my life with them, and it's been over 20 years, and I still don't get bored by that, and I'm still entertained by this kind of stuff. And, uh, um, you know, it's it's just, you know, you would think that after 20 years of spending every day of your life with something, you know, <clears throat> it would get boring, but it never does. Because, like as you know, life with animals is different every day, you know. There's something new around the corner every day. There's something different that I learned, you know, we just had a baby Egyptian born literally as we were get, getting ready for the show. Oh, so really? That's why, yeah, that's why we're, we're trying to, you know, stay very, very kind of low key as well. I didn't want to get like a lot of bright lights going on. I didn't want to upset the mom. So we have a brand new baby. So uh, that was, it must have been earlier today. So I think it would only would be appropriate that we name him Corbin. Oh my baby, God. Baby Corbin. <laughs> no way. <laughs> We're going to have to, if it's a boy. If it's a if boy. It's a girl, yeah, hey, yeah, if it's a girl, we'll, we'll you do know something. What? I've only met one other Corbin, and it was a girl. And I thought, really? Is that right? I, that is correct. <laughs> I was <laughs> like, okay. Well, well, you know what? I, I, I take it as a good omen. So, you know what? There was a good sign that uh, today was going to go smoothly and go well. So, you know, we're having a good time. Um, you're uh, helping me to get over my fear of Skype. It's a good thing. It's a good thing. It's a good thing to embrace technology. You know, I'm oh, still trying to figure out how to get my uh, clock to stop blinking on my microwave. That's where I'm at. <laughs> That's where I'm at. So, really quick, what is the yeah. biggest misconception people have about bats? Do you think? So, I think the biggest mis misconception that people have about bats is that they themselves are scary. You know, we are so used to being associated um, with Halloween and with horror movies and with Dracula and with vampires. And, you know, that's not, you know, like I say to people, you know, there are vampire bats in the world. There's three species of bats known as vampire bats. None of them live in Transylvania, you know? Uh, so, you know, Basically, all the things that we've heard, all the things that we are afraid of or we were afraid of, people that are still afraid of bats are afraid of, usually comes from others making us afraid of them. You know, when people come here and they get a chance to see bats up close and personal and they get a chance to feed a bat, you know, by hand and they see how gentle the bats are. 
they realize how intelligent they are, um, how incredibly um, smart you know that they are, and uh, how uh, how can I put it? Um, how unafraid of people they are. So we have to learn to be more like them. We have to learn to, to, you know, be accepting of the animals that are different. But I think, like I said, the biggest misconception is that people think that bats are scary, and they're not. The, the thing we're scared of is things that we don't understand, and we're afraid of the dark. So we have, right there, you have an animal that is a mammal, right? So it's expected to just, you know, uh, behave like a, you know, a cute koala or a panda bear. It hangs upside down, you know, it comes out at night, uh, it has wings. It's the exception to every rule that mammals are. And so when people, I think generally in our culture, when people don't understand something, the first reaction they have is they want to get rid of it. But the good thing is this generation, and I, I would say getting back to Steve Irwin when he started, um, the generation following him, this generation of kids are far educated in wildlife and wildlife conservation and understanding more than my generation and my parents' generation were. So I think the good thing is that just this generation understands the truths. The older generations are the ones I have to do the most work with, getting them over their fears and getting them over, you know, the myths and the misunderstandings surrounding bats. So I think, honestly, the biggest misconception is that bats themselves are scary and spooky. They're not. They just like to hang out in the dark. What do I, you know, what can I tell you? They're not for <laughs> creatures. You know, they like to have fun like the rest of us. You know? But so <laughs> to, address, to address, you know, the, the rest... They don't get caught in people's hair. You know, um, bats will fly very close to people. I'm sure there's been run-ins with bats and people. I'm sure people have been hit by bats. I'm sure you, bats may have even landed on people when they were tired. But bats are not aggressive by nature. Even when there's very few bats that do get sick, uh, even bats that contract rabies, they do not get a really aggressive form of rabies like raccoons and dogs and cats and foxes do. They usually die off right away and usually it's, it's, it's away from people unless somebody happens to find one. So uh, rabies, there's another story that's blown out of proportion. You know, um, less than one half of 1% of bats contract rabies. That's a minuscule number, a minuscule number. Um, they are not blind. They have incredible eyesight. Most bats can see better than cats at night and all bats have eyes. So even the ones that look like they wouldn't see very well, they can see very well. Uh, what else? What other silly stories did we hear growing up about bats or misconceptions um, that all bats are vampires? <laughs> no, not, not true. true. Not true. And, you know, it's funny, a testament to how long I've been doing this. Part of my, my spiel, part of my shtick 20 years ago when I, would, when I was started doing programs was, you know, well, you know, there is over 900, close to 1,000 different species of bats, which makes up almost a quarter of the Earth's mammal population. That was 20 years ago. 20 years fast forward, there's now over 1,300 different species of bats discovered. So in just the time that I was doing this, there's been over 300 species of bats discovered, you know. And, you know, rightfully so, we've probably lost a few, you know, too, you know, due mm -hmm. to... Everything from deforestation to disease and, uh, you know, uh, encroaching by man, you know, everything in between. But um, 
you know, like Michael Keaton said in Batman, they're great survivors. I mean, they've been around for 60 plus million years wow. and their fossils have been basically unchanged. So uh, that's 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 testament to a great design. You know, if you find a fossil from an animal 60 million years ago and it's almost identical to today's fossil and it's unchanged, it's a pretty good design. You know, no need to no need to fix it. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I was going to say, too, they are so beneficial just for insect control. I mean, what is that? That crazy what is that crazy statistic can't they eat like a what is it a few thousand now, mosquitoes a night go ahead a single you know uh, insect eating bat myotis family a uh, little brown bat um can eat up to a thousand mosquitoes in an hour one bat and wow. you know if you know anything about bats they are you know social communal animals they live in very large groups and some groups can have you know tens of millions uh, of bats in their colony and think about all of those bats eating all those mosquitoes now keep in mind the fact that the white nose syndrome has spread to 35 u.s states uh maybe even more as of this year um and it has done a number on our native bat species and the species that it's affecting obviously are insect eating species so now you have all of these losses all of these great losses around the country and now all of a sudden you're seeing, oh my God, look at this West Nile virus, the rise in West Nile virus, rise in Zika. Uh, you know, uh, um, all of these mosquito-borne illnesses are now on the rise. But you don't ever hear people on the news talking about why. They say, oh, because of global warming and oh, because of, you know, uh, rainwater sitting around and people not emptying out their tires. But the real reason that these these uh, diseases are on the rise is because the number one mosquito predator, the bat, is on the decline. So now that their numbers are finally starting to come back a little bit, 10, 11 years after white nose syndrome, um, we're starting to see the effects of it being reversed. So now, now really, really, really quick, I, I, if, if I'm a listener just not familiar with white nose syndrome, can you explain that briefly what that is? Mm. Absolutely. So white nose syndrome is a fungus that was discovered on bats up in upstate New York, up in Skohari, New York, in a cave. It is a cold weather fungus, and this is something to keep in mind why it's important. It is a cold weather fungus that was attacking bats in their winter hibernaculum, in their roosts, in the caves. And the fungus uh, affected their uh, breathing, their respiratory system, as well as also attacking their wing membranes. So it kind of was, you know, a dual and, and triple threat attack. And the first year it was discovered, it wasn't like, well, we found this new illness and let's see how, you know, we can we can fight against it. The bats were dead. That was it. They they, you know, from caves from upstate New York, across New Jersey into Connecticut and Pennsylvania, they were just decimated. One day the bats were alive and literally next day they were just found dead. One of the biggest uh, hibernaculum in New Jersey, home to most of the bats in my county, uh, was the Hibernia Mines up in Rockaway. And they had like literally a 98% mortality rate. Oh that means 98% of the bats were killed that first year. So the fungus was found to have roots in Europe. It's a Europe, you know, European um, uh, origin. Um, ironically, the bats of Europe are 
stable. Their numbers are stable. Um, the bats seem to have an immunity to this. And the only thing I can think of is that they probably went through what we were going through. And it was many, many years ago when nobody cared about bat conservation or any animal con uh, you know, conservation. So maybe they did go through this, but nobody really cared. They saw dead bats and they were like, oh, well, whatever. Now people care. So when you see a cave full of bats dying, everybody takes notice. And through social media, people are, are joined together rather quickly. But maybe this did affect Europe many years ago, but now their numbers are stable. The bats have immunity to it. Some bats are even found to have the fungus on their body and they're not affected by it at all. And I've always believed if given a chance, mother nature has a pretty amazing way to correct itself. And I think that's what we're seeing. We're seeing now the 11th and almost 12th year uh, since the fungus was found and we're seeing the numbers starting to come back. It's still spreading, unfortunately, but we're at least seeing the numbers stabilizing and the numbers starting to come back. But it is a fungus, it's a cold weather fungus, and it's attacking only bats that are in um, hibernaculum that are you know, usually colder than you know, 50 degrees, 40 degrees. The fungus is not mutated to be able to survive in the warm weather. So thank God for that, because if it starts to hit the southwest and caves like um, Texas and New Mexico, then our bat population in the United States is in big trouble. So if this is a European fungus, how do they think it got over here? What is the uh, They believe that it was carried over um, by humans that went cave exploring in Europe, came to the United States, went into a cave in uh, Skohari, New York, without the simple task of disinfecting their clothing, which is rudimentary in spelunking, in caves, you know, exploring. I mean, it's just common knowledge. You, you, you do not, you know, go from one cave to another without disinfecting your clothing. So they think it was done as easily as that. You know, oh, they man. think it was, it was done as easily as somebody carrying the fungus on their clothing and then going into the cave in upstate New York. And that started the catastrophic chain of events. Man. <clears throat> and so what are they trying to do to prevent this fungus? What measures are being taken? Well, you know, there's been a lot of work done. You know, most of the community of bat biologists have been working together with fish and wildlife um uh, representatives and, uh, you know, everything from, you know, scientists to, you know, animal biologists, veterinarians, everybody's pitching in. Um, they know how to cure a bat of the white nose fungus. Even local rehabilitators have come up with their own secret methods of curing each bat. The problem is how do you stop it from spreading? How do you, you know, how do you apply a medication or a preventative to an animal that flies, you know, without negatively affecting some of the other organisms uh, that are in a, you know, cave ecosystem. So that's been the hardest, uh, the, the hardest obstacle to overcome. Many people are working on this. Um, I've heard of everything from aerosolizing, you know, types of medication that is used to combat the fungus and basically, you know, power spraying a cave, which sounds ridiculous, but, you know, there's been there's been more ridiculous ideas like putting man on the moon, you know? I mean, <laughs> so, uh, you know, there's a lot of different things that, you know, bat biologists and, and, and uh, wildlife biologists are trying out. Um, you know, 
I don't know how many of them have been successful. I've heard even more ridiculous ideas like, why don't we just heat up the cave? <laughs> well, you know, yeah. I don't know if anybody's ever tried to do that before successfully without harming some of the other organisms in the cave. So you have to, you know, when you want to cure an animal of something, a species of animal of something, you also have to keep the other you know, animals in their chain, you know, in their chain of life, you have to also keep them in mind as well. So mm -hmm. there's a lot of things that biologists are doing, um, you know, that are working on this problem, but I don't know if they really have, have come up with anything to stop it from spreading uh, or to prevent it, so to speak. Right now, they're just keeping their fingers crossed that the new generations of bats are carrying this immunity and that eventually the fungus will die out. Who knows? Mm -hmm. You know, nature will find nature will find a way. That's right. Absolutely. Famous Jurassic Park line. Okay, That's right. Joe, <laughs> Joe, I'm going. Okay, we're we're going to backtrack completely. Switch. Um, we're going to kind of switch topics. Okay, you ready for this one? Sure. sure. So I, I, let me grab let me grab a glass of water. Real oh quick. heck yeah! Go ahead. I'm going to grab some coffee too. Here we go. Mm. So Joe, I am a young listener, very interested in bats. Yeah. How? I mean, I'm just thinking to myself. How did you start? Like, when did you get your first bat? And how did you, like, how did you acquire your first bat? I mean, that's a legit question, right? It is absolutely. It's a legitimate question because I have a lot of people that come here. You know, we have a lot of different types of people that walk through the, the uh, doors here. Some of them are just naturalists that love what we're doing. We have people, you know, that come in <clears throat> that are, you know, big bat fans. We have people that come in that are Batman fans. We have a lot of goths coming in here because... <laughs> You know, it's, uh, you know, as I as I say, you know, around this time of year, oh, that's nice. You're doing your your uh, your uh, your pumpkin carving, and you you know you got your spider webs on the windows, and you know that's really cute and everything. Uh, we have forty bats. We win. <laughs> yeah, I agree. <laughs> but uh, I got started. Um, let's see. I wanted to work with bats. And I'm trying to think, it was 1991, 92, and I said, I, 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 I can only learn so much by watching bats outside and, you know, watching their feeding habits. I learned a lot about their flight. I learned a lot about their echolocation and how they were able to outmaneuver a mosquito or a fly in midair. Um, but in order to really know what a bat is like, I wanted to interact with them one-on-one. -on -one. I wanted to live with them, you know, and it wasn't like it can go to Petland and pick one yeah, up, that's you know? What I, <laughs> right, you that's know, what I was you, thinking. You know, you know, depending on what part of the U.S. you live in, it, it, almost anything is possible. We've all seen the stories, you know, about people keeping these, you know, wacky type of animals in their home. You know, I am not a hypocrite. I'm not a person that's going to tell somebody you shouldn't have this or that as a pet unless I think it's potentially dangerous. You know, we all want to have animal companions. Some of us believe that animal companions are better than human companions <laughs> and more loyal, you know, but <laughs> you, you do have to, you have to use your head and you yeah. have to, you have to have respect for the laws and not everything makes a good pet. Even even if it is legal, not everything makes a good pet. There's plenty of pets out there that are legal that I plead with people to stop selling, but they still breed them. And Which, they still ones? Sell them. Which ones? Which oh, ones? Let, let's talk oh, about it. Let's open up the worms. Oh, you know what? In New Jersey, Coata Mundis and Kinkajus oh, yeah. are still legal. And they're oh being God. sold. I was told years ago they're going to pull them and they're going to stop it. And there's still people showing up at emergency rooms with bites from both of these animals. And yep. it ultimately... 
if it ends in a bite or an attack on a human, that's one thing. Ultimately, it usually ends in the animal's destruction, you know, because people blame the animal for its aggression and then they have it put down or they put it on Craigslist and, and they sell it to the, the next unsuspecting person who can't take care of it. Mm. So unfortunately, there's a lot of animals that need to be reassessed, reevaluated for their place in the pet industry or in the home, and you know, kinkachus are a real culprit too because they look so cute and people think, "Oh right. my gosh!" And I've worked with a few that have been nasty. <laughs> like you, know, if- <laughs> you know, they can, they can, you know, they're in the raccoon family, so yeah. they're number one. You know, they're very defensive as it is. Procyonidae. Sorry. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> and, you know, I've had experiences with wonderful kinkajous. We have a wonderful kinkajou here on exhibit. But when I tell people about it and when I rub his belly and I squeeze his head, I say he could turn around at any moment and just latch on to me. And I wouldn't know why. It's just, you know, these are wild animals. They're not domesticated. They never will be. And some of them... Um, you know, just don't belong in people's homes, you know, and it seems that people don't want to learn until, you know, until they learn, until they're forced to learn, you know, and um, uh, I I think a lot of it has to do with each individual state, you know, uh, reassessing, you know, their their views on these types of things. So ultimately, uh, people don't get hurt and that the animal doesn't suffer. You know, we border with Pennsylvania where it's legal, you know, and they sell anything. I mean, you could cross the border and pack your car with fireworks, rattlesnakes, and alligators and have oh yourself one hell of a party. And, <laughs> and, and we have to clean up the mess here in New Jersey yeah. because we, we end up getting the calls. Oh, my God, my son just came home with an alligator. I'm going to kick him out and the alligator with him. <laughs> and, you know, and then we have to come to their rescue and say, listen, we'll take, we'll take the alligator. And then we call the state and say, you know, listen – Somebody made a boo-boo, made a mistake, you know, and then the state has to contact somebody to pick up the alligator because, you know, there's not a lot of people licensed to house alligators in New Jersey legally. And uh, it's just, you know, it's just I never got it. You know, Corbin, I never understood if we are the United States, why is every state a different law? I just don't get it. I never got that part. You know, uh, people from New Jersey very often travel right over state lines and you can pick up a cobra at any one of these reptile expos. Oh, my and, God. You know, you barely have to show ID. I, you know, I, yeah. It's news. I will never. And people ask me that all the time. Would you ever want to get into the venomous animals? And I'm like, I'm good. <laughs> like, you I mean, know, I mean, I mean, I understand there are some people who are into it. I, I, I get it. And they're, you know, but I just think for pets, like, I mean, come on. I, no. I often tell people, you know, that keep reptiles and they ask the same question, you know, uh, oh, I'm thinking of, you know, they, they say I'm thinking of going down to the reptile expo, and, you know, picking up a, you know, uh, a Gaboon Viper or oh a Cobra, you know, and I'm like, so do you think you have experience? Well, no, you know, I've kept corn snakes and I've kept oh milks and I've God. kept boa constrictors. And I'm like, well, coming from a person who's kept every legal reptile, you know, here, you know, in in the course of my lifespan, I could tell you one thing that has remained true, no matter what I keep. Eventually, it will get out, whether it be from your, from whether it will be from your own stupidity, forgetting to put the locks on, getting sidetracked or distracted, it will get out. Now, a corn snake getting out of the cage is one thing. A monocled cobra getting out of its cage. <laughs> I would 
you know? Joe, I have to tell you a story. I have to tell you. Now, now I sound like a hypocrite, but someone from the Idaho Herpetological Society, which I belong to, messaged sure. me and asked me if I wanted to um, to adopt a rattlesnake that was confiscated named Petunia. And anyway, nice. long story short, Petunia got out of the cage, not at my place, but the other society's members. Petunia was lost for three weeks inside oh, of her house. And, 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 I, and so- what did they do? Did they so, just vacate the house? No, How they, they lived the in the house. So they had ended up getting Petunia. That's when they messaged me and said, hey, would you be interested in Petunia? We just caught her after three weeks. And I was just kidding. Like, I was kidding with my wife. Like, what about, what if we get Petunia? And she like was like, absolutely not. Like, <laughs> How are the laws out by you? How are the laws? Um, so the laws are strict. You can't keep any venomous animals or crocodilians. So I have special permits. We're one of the only private facilities to actually have alligators. Which was really okay. hard to get, and so we were grandfathered in. And then, with with the venomous reptiles being a part of the society, I think you get get a special permit through Fish and Game. But I think Fish and Game yeah. technically owns them. But sure. I would, yeah, would never have any interest in a venomous animal. Because, and you know, one thing I was going to say, Joe, because you were going to say, you know, when you work with all these reptiles, it's you know, before long, you're going to get bit. Like I've been bit by almost every animal I own. Right. <laughs> I mean, this is part of what we do, you know, part of having respect for these animals is knowing that at any time, you know, they could turn around. Listen, they communicate on a different level, you know, things that we would normally do, like looking at each other in the eye while we're talking which is considered respectful in the animal community that's considered you know a defense posture or being alpha male and you could get bitten by an animal just by looking in its eyes you know we've all seen that you know the pictures of steve Irwin, that the famous video of him holding the carpet python you know and, and talking on camera and getting tagged in the face yep and i was like yep. that's brilliant and and you know yep. people should look at that and go wow even steve Irwin got bit and then ultimately you know it caused his d- demise because he was so trusting of animals that he felt that he could get as close as possible with anything. And you really have to go beyond that and say, you know, you have to give animals a lot of respect and you got to give them their space and you have to really learn animal behavior. That's the key. It's not just biology. You have to learn animal behavior. This is why I wanted to work with bats, not from a book, not from outside using an echolocator, not from reading about the writings you know, of, of some other people. I wanted to know what a bat was really about 365 days a year, you know, 24 hours a day. So when I uh, getting back to the original yeah, question. Yeah, 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 question, sorry. I, 20 I minutes actually, later, my bad. <laughs> I actually contacted the state of New Jersey Fish and Wildlife, and I said, this is what I'd like to do. But it's not just so I could have pets, you know, bats in my house. I would like to apply for, I think at that time, I needed a scientific holding permit. I needed to prove what research I was doing with bats. And then I wanted exhibitor permits because I didn't want to just do this for my own enjoyment. I wanted to prove to people that these animals were completely different than what they thought of them or what they were being told of them. You know, you don't, you don't hear about bats you know, on the Today Show around Christmas time, you know, you hear about bats when somebody gets rabies. 
that's yeah. when you hear about bats. And I wanted to turn that around. So uh, that was my mission statement back in the day, you know, and I had my mentors, you know, Merlin Tuttle from Bat Conservation International. He started the whole thing for all of us bat lunatics. And if it wasn't for him, um, we probably wouldn't be doing what we were doing, you know, uh, and uh, I have him to thank for a lot of, you know, opportunities. Um, I think back when I applied, the state was kind of like, you want to study what? <laughs> you know, like everybody who I know went into, you know, animal behavior and biology, you know, all the all the the girls that I know, they wanted to study study cute koala bears and everybody wanted to study tree kangaroos and <laughs> You know, and, and, and cute, you know, pandas and all, you know, all these cute, cuddly animals. And I went into a field that was basically completely wide open, you know. So it was perfect timing, which is rare in my life, you know. It's rare that I do anything the right way. But it was perfect timing because nobody else was really doing it. And um, in our area, you know, um, there really was nobody concentrating on bats the way I was. You know, there were people that were wildlife biologists that, you know, dabbled in bats and, you know, but I really took it to the next level and took it to the extreme and just went, you know, batty for the whole yeah. time. You know, and like I said, still to this day, it's just, you know, everything. I mean, you know, I, 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 I laugh. I say to a lot of people, you know, people just come through the doors and bring me gifts. And, you know, I have a whole room of just bat related gifts and Batman related gifts. And I'm like, you know, how, how long can this last? And I still look, you know, relatively sane or normal. Like how, how at what age is this still acceptable that I wear Batman t-shirts, you know? <laughs> what age is this still acceptable? But you know, it's a it's a it's a lifestyle, you know. Um, you know, it's just you can't do it halfway, you know. You can't do it halfway. So the state knew that I was serious and I, and they gave me scientific holding permits. They gave me exhibition permits. I have endangered species permits for the flying foxes. We even have CITES permits. So we have permits that some zoos in the area don't have. So I am very fortunate. The state of New Jersey has been wonderful with us. And we just try our best to come across not only as experts in what we're doing, but also people that love what we're doing. You know, I often have people tell me you're so passionate when you speak about bats and, you know, you should be, you know, when you're, when you love something and you talk about it, people should know, you know, if you're not passionate about your job, this is why I can't understand people that just open the paper and get a job. Like, you know, <laughs> well, there's a lot of people that do that though, that hate their I, job. Like what? 60, I, 70% of people hate their jobs. I guess you and I would be in trouble if it wasn't for those wonderful people because I don't want to work, you know, at the post office. I don't want to deliver They're mail. <laughs> you know? They have great benefits, Joe. They do. They're, they're the ones that are laughing now. Their, you know? their retirement plan is great. Exactly. exactly. So, you know, yeah, that's the difference. They'll get taken care of when they're 65 and I'll be living in a cave with the back. <laughs> so, but... That's, but, Joe, but really though, so like, so what is the first batch you get? And then what is, what is the care of, of a bat like? Like, what is the husbandry? Like, I have no idea. So, you know, I very often compare them to keeping birds, but not. Does that make sense? So here's the deal. Birds in captivity should be able to stretch out their wings and fly. 
You know, we have a magnificent, you know, American barn owl that has a very large enclosure, but we also let out of his in, uh, of his enclosure in order to get flight time. And bats are the same. They're not an animal that you can stick in a bird cage and, you know, expect it to have a, a long, healthy and happy lifestyle. So, you know, we had to prove that we were going to give them a good life. And we also you know, explained that we were not going to take bats out of the wild. All of our bats came from zoos throughout the U.S., so none of them have ever been wild caught. They're multi-generational, which means they've been born in captivity, and that's all they know. Uh, and um, uh, the next thing was, you know, building enclosures. And over 25 years, you know, we've done a lot of different types of enclosures. We've tweaked designs. We think we've come up with some pretty good designs. Uh, we've come up, let's put it this way, we've come up with the best designs that we could come up with using our money. <laughs> you know, so when we start getting, you know, the big bucks coming in and the big grants and the big donations, then maybe we'll be able to hire people to design, you know, zoo-like designs. But I, I have seen zoos that have spent ridiculous amounts of money on one single exhibit that I wish I had for our entire facility. And they sometimes get ripped off. You know, this is another thing about being, um, you know, a, a county run organization or a state run organization. Sometimes when you put in a bid to get something done, like an animal, you know, uh, an animal exhibit, you're getting people that are blatantly just ripping you off because they can, because you don't know any better. Here, we know how much we're spending on each exhibit because we're buying the lumber. It's not <laughs> somebody else. You know, we're building the, the cages. So we have to know how our money is being spent. A lot of times I look at some of these zoos and I see how much they spend on a single exhibit. And I'm like, oh, my God, I could build a facility for that. You know, <laughs> and it looks really nice behind you, by the way. The exhibit looks great. I mean, the, we've we've been uh, fortunate to have some great people involved. We had we had not only here, here's something funny. I know you love my funny stories and my ironic twists of fate in my life, but <laughs> I had no interest in school back in high school. It couldn't have been a, a more you know high school was the worst eight years of my life, Corbin. No, <laughs> You love, how, you love how it took me a second. I was like, wait a second. I'm just <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. It was the worst four years of my life, except for woodshop class and graphic arts. To this day, the only two things I use in my life because of woodshop, building all the exhibits here myself and with my friends. And uh, we've designed our website. We've designed our brochures, our flyers, all of our informational hands out, handouts using my graphic arts experience from back in high school. And ironically, when we built this location, uh, a young man, a young fella in high school said, I am doing an Eagle Scout project. He was a Boy Scout. And, you know, God bless that organization. They still have kids <clears throat> that are trying to do something better than play video games all day. And this young man came to me and said, I want to um, do my Eagle Scout project with you. <clears throat> and I don't want to just build a bat house. And I said, well, how about building an entire bat facility? So actually, this young man did his Eagle Scout project by helping us to move and set up our entire new location. So his whole troop and their families got involved. And ultimately, one of the pack leaders was my high school woodshop teacher. <laughs> no who actually way. came here 
and helped us design all of the new bat enclosures. So it was like a, a, a full circle of people helping us out. It was a complete, I totally understand the term labor of love now. It was a complete family labor of love, building the new exhibits. And one of the biggest compliments I get when people come in, they say, wow, the new exhibits look really cool, you know? And to get that from a person who works at the Museum of Natural History, I was like, are you kidding me? <laughs> this, your facility is several blocks long. I never realized how big that Museum of Natural History was until I went there last week again to see a facility for the first time since I was 10 years old. It is literally several blocks long. Dude, it's I, huge. I, I had no concept, you know? Yeah. When you're 10 years old, you know the school bus, and the entranceway. That's all you know. You don't realize you're in there and it's 10 blocks long, you know? Yeah. I wasn't ready for that. I have to go back to the gym before my appearance. We have to, <laughs> we have, you know, we, you could spend, you could spend days in there. I mean, literally days. I was yeah. getting anxiety because I was afraid I wouldn't be able to see everything, which I did not. Exactly. Like, I, like, I was like, I need to see everything and it's closing it's time. Overwhelming. It's, it's really overwhelming. overwhelming. And, you know, you physically see everything on like a one dimensional basis. Mm -hmm. And then you really have to sit down and go back over the place again and go, now I really wanna see, you know, what that, you know, that Lucy exhibit is all about, you know? Mm -hmm. And what that exhibit with the um, the, the new, uh, the, the new bigger dinosaur is, you know? that the, There's so many new exhibits popping up there that you literally, you're right, you have to spend a couple of days there to really get the most out of it. One afternoon, number one, your your legs will give out in one afternoon, and 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 you, you really just need to, there's so much depth there, and there's so many, I, I knew the place was big when I talked to several people that I knew worked there, and neither of them knew each other. Are That's you a big serious? Place. Oh, I have three or four friends that all work at the Museum of Natural History, and none of them know one another. Oh you know, it's my unbelievable. Gosh. It's that's, incredible. That's incredible. Okay, so really quick, back onto these exhibits. Sure. I noticed sure. that it's like nocturnal. So, do you have like a reverse cycle for the bats? Uh, yes, on the weekends. On the weekends, we kind of make it a little bit more, you know, dramatic nocturnal lighting, but. Daylight is crucial for the mega bats, the mega coroptera, because they do roost out in the open in trees. So they do get sunlight, which is important for a mammal to absorb calcium and vitamin D3 into their bloodstream. So we do have to give them daytime. But during the week, Monday through Friday, when we're really not open to the public, that's when they have normal cycle. And then we just kind of lengthen their nighttime cycle, you know, during the day, which is why they're up. I mean, bats have an air clock that tells them when they should be asleep, but you can bribe them very easily with food. All you have to do for to wake up bats is just give them their food. You know, it's kind of like, it's kind of like me. You want to get me up, you just, you know, prop up a quart of fried rice right next to my, my head and I'm up, I'm awake. The bats are the same way. They are driven by hunger and then they'll go right back to sleep. So even though any, any zoo can, you know, reverse their time cycle um, and their day night cycle, their inner clock really tells them what's yeah. going on. Yeah. You know, we kind of do this for effect so that people can see what bats are like uh -huh. and it kind of keeps them a little bit more active, but really the food is what keeps them active. If I took food out of there right now, uh -huh. it doesn't matter what the, the light is, they'll go back to sleep. 
Huh. And really quick, I remember at my local zoo I used to volunteer at, they would have a bat exhibit, and then at night they would use construction paper, and they'd have to completely put construction paper all over the all over the glass windows for the for the for the right. poop. Is that what you have to do every night, or? Um, they're a lot smarter than me, apparently. <laughs> you know, you that's a great idea. And oh I, my I god! I can't believe. Yeah, you know what? I've done that on the doors of our exhibits because we have, you know, doors that get pretty covered in guano, and guano. Uh, you know, we started doing that. But you're right. You know, on the glass. No, I've just been cleaning it every week to make sure that it looks great. But. During the week, when we are not open to the public, that's genius, Corbin. I'm going to steal that. I hope I hope nobody copyrighted it because I'm stealing it. Oh, I'm so uh, happy I could teach you I'm something. I'm going to start to do that. You know, we go down to the local restaurant depot, and we buy these tremendous butcher block, you know, paper, uh, rolls of butcher yeah, block paper. Yeah. And we use it on the floor of the exhibit. So literally every night, all we have to do is roll up the paper, and the cage is clean. But, you know, when you're dealing with the world's only true flying mammals, uh, they don't politely go to the bathroom where you want them to. There is no bat litter box. So after a while, you'll probably see, you know, guano on the glass and on the doors and on the side. So, you know, no matter what, the cage needs cleaning. But that's a great idea during the week to cover the inside with the butcher block paper. Heck that's yeah. a great idea. I'm so you happy. Know, yeah, after 25 years, you would think that I would have thought of that. <laughs> We else. I'm happy I can help you out. So we have remote control lighting. We have lighting that we have uh, colored LED bulbs from China that change colors. So if I want daylight, all I have to do is hit a button, and the, the lights that were once blue or infrared are now bright daylight. Mm -hmm. But I, I I couldn't think of the paper of the window thing. <laughs> So, Joe, really quick, what yeah. I've never really worked with bats personally, which, by the way, I want to work with you soon on national TV. We can get to that later. But sure. regarding what what is their temperament like? What are the fruit? I mean, are you able to handle them? Like, how do you display them doing these live appearances? So, you know, bats by nature are very, very shy animals. They do whatever they can to stay away from people. They're smart. They know that we're trouble and they know that wherever we are, trouble follows. Mm. So bats spend most of their time staying away from people and they're shy by nature. But since we have had bo bats born in our care here in our facility, we try to work with them from the time that they're first born so that they get over their fear of humans and that they don't get stressed when we do use them on a hands-on performance like a TV show or, a, you know, a, or, a, you know, any, any kind of, you know, media program, something like that. <clears throat> In our normal weekly programs that we do, I have built these customized carriers that basically are like a big dog carrier, a big dog kennel crate, and inside of the crate, there's another crate with plexiglass windows. So all you have to do is pop the outer shell off that you are carrying them in, and the audience can see the bats without taking them in and out. Bats are also prone to stress. So you don't want to overhandle bats. So I don't overhandle my bats, and I don't always handle my bats for the programs. We handle them, you know, to get them into their carriers, but some of my bats are so well-trained and so used to us that all we have to do is open up the door of the exhibit and put the kennel in front of it, and the bats go right into the kennel really? without, without our help. Most people don't believe me until I show them that they actually do this themselves. But are, so, there, are there any you could like pick up or like display, or I mean, are they pretty much on some sort of a prop? 
usually because of state regulations, the bats have to be in an enclosure. Now, there's, you know, times where we work with, you know, certain situations, if it's a closed set, where we can handle the animals, you know, using your hands. Um, but for the most part, when we exhibit our bats at a, at a, at a daily show, let, let's say a school or a library, they're actually inside of an exhibit cage. Mm -hmm. When we go to the museum, they will be inside of an exhibit cage, and I doubt I'll be doing any actual handling for two reasons. One, there are certain laws that protect the animal's well-being as well as the audience. And two, in an you know, in an auditorium that holds that many people, you don't want to, you know, overhandle the animal so that they don't get overstressed. Mm -hmm. You know, so when I do have to handle the animals, you do have to be careful. You know, their ankles are very, very delicate. The bones in their ankles and their toes um, and the muscles and the tendons in their toes, which are crucial to help them hang upside down, they're very delicate. So if you are not careful, you could, you could actually hurt them and overhandle them. Hmm. So, you know, it's something that we have to be aware of constantly. So I'm not one of those people that has to be constantly holding the bat. You know, like that guy at, that's at everybody's Fourth of July parade that has the bow up around his neck. <laughs> I'm not that guy. I think that you guy know? was here. I think that guy was here in our town this year, Joe. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know what? We I've seen it happen here in New York City, and ironically, boa constrictors are against the law in New York City, but yet. Nobody says anything to this guy that is handling snakes, and now he's handing off these big bow constrictors, you know, to people to put around their neck. And you know, a parade or 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 a, a party um, like the Feast of San Gennaro, where I've seen it most recently in Little Italy in New York. There's a lot of volume. There's a lot of vibration. A lot of noise. A lot of things that would set these animals off. And here's this guy putting these snakes around people's necks, and I'm like, am I the only one that just thinks this is wrong? right now you know <laughs> apparently the police don't or they don't know their own laws because the police were sitting there watching this happen and i'm like wow this is so odd because it's so illegal and there's the police standing next I to think, this i guy. think the police are just terrified of the snake <laughs> i think they're like i'm not i'm not one to deal with this i'm they, good <laughs> they have fears just like everybody else do and, and I, I just don't think a lot of people know the laws regarding certain things let's put it this way a boa constrictor is the least of Manhattan's problems. <laughs> they're probably they're probably uh, on the lookout for a, a lot a lot worse you know potential dangers than a guy with a snake. You know, there you go. so you know it, it, as long as the animal's not being harmed, you know, awesome, whatever. Awesome. Yeah. Well, Joe, we're almost past an hour. Thank you so much for doing wow. this. I mean, Thank I, you. I know, right? I mean, Halloween, I know you're slammed. I really appreciate it. Once sure. again, let's plug. So the Wildlife Conservation Education Center in Garfield, New Jersey, correct? Absolutely. Absolutely. And our website is thebatcave.org. Or if that's too difficult to remember, it's njbatman.com, newjerseybatman.com. There you go. And when will you be at the American Museum of Natural History? Uh, I'll be appearing there the weekend right after Halloween. So it's November 2nd and 3rd, Friday and Saturday, two nights only. Two nights only. Did you two sell out? Only. Did you sell out? Um, I told the people at the museum because when they came here, they had this look like, wow, you know, the tickets are really selling. And I said, please do me a favor. Don't tell me if these if this event sells out, because I'm already, I'm already, <laughs> I'm already, uh, you know, I'm already consulting my my psychiatrist about that. 
Matt's appearance. Dude, you know, I don't, do... I don't want to have to, you know, I don't want to have to be sedated for this show. So I don't know. I, you know, that, I, that's up to them. They said that these shows usually do phenomenal. The Friday night is for members only. It's like the big oh. black eye affair and, you oh, know, God. the people from the museum and, you know, the friends of the museum and the big supporters will be there. So, you know, I'm going to, uh, I, I'm just, I'm going to be on my best behavior and, uh, tr try to, you know, answer as many questions I, as I can before I pass out. And, uh, <laughs> you know, just hope that everything goes well, you know, listen, you know, I joke a lot about that, you know, because if you are not nervous about a gig like that, or if you are not um, prepared, that's when I think the worst things that can happen. You know, nervousness is good. You know, is. You, you should you should be afraid of things because sometimes it keeps you on your feet and it keeps you on your guard. So having a little bit of nervous nervousness is is okay. I just wanna I wanna be excited enough to remember the gig. You know, as, as the biggest gig of my life. You You're know? gonna do so good, and you should add some like theatrical stuff. What about some lighting or like a fog machine when they do your intro? Could you imagine? Corbin, listen. <laughs> What did I tell you about hanging out at those Guns N' Roses concerts? <laughs> Let me just add more pressure to you. <laughs> I, get, I get enough. I get enough. Uh, enough flack about my cowboy hat. Now you want me to add? Uh, you want me to, This is this is not medieval times, Corbin. <laughs> I did a fog machine when I was thirteen doing a show. Completely smoked oh out the whole entire audience. <laughs> what, what, you, you, were, you think you were Chris Angel? What? <laughs> That's what I should do. I should have Chris Angel like fly in from the side of the you stage and like hand hand me my microphone. Thanks, Chris. <laughs> well, Joe, I don't know. We'll come up with something. You're gonna do great. Thank you once again. I really appreciate it. Oh, and then they can find you on Facebook, correct? Facebook. Yes, on Facebook. Uh, it's uh, I think it's also uh, the Bat Cave. I think at the Wildlife Conservation and Education Center, or under my my name, Joseph D'Angeli. Uh, I'm sure if you just type in uh, New Jersey and bats or Batman, at some point you'll find me. <laughs> Come up. All right. Thanks a lot. I appreciate it, man. All right, Corbin. Talk to you soon. Thanks for listening to the Animals to the Max podcast. Please make sure to hit subscribe and leave a rating. It really helps me out. I also encourage you to check out CorbinMaxi.com. You can contact me there personally, even suggest a podcast guest, or if you just want to learn more about animals.